So uh, I want to turn to uh, Ephesians. Let's see if I can turn there, guys, real quick. Hold on a second. There's a. Uh, There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to his riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And uh, this song reminds me of Ephesians chapter 3. To know how wide and high and long and deep His love is for us. And God gave me this word again when I was in at Brooklyn Tabernacle Church just a couple of weeks ago. And I told the Lord, Lord, I want to know how wide and high and deep and long your love is. And I just want to encourage you. I don't know what's going on in your life. And I don't know whether you came to church with a side of guilt. You know what I mean? <laughs> a little side of shame, a side of regret. Whatever it is, I want you to know his love is greater. His love is greater. And you're here right now. You're breathing right now. The grace of God is over you. You have a God of new beginnings. You have a God who can do the impossible. You have a God who wants you to know his grace and his love. So I want to encourage you just to seek God out. God knows what's on your heart. God knows what's weighing on you. God knows what kept you up in the middle of the night. Some of you were up at two in the morning because something was weighing on you. And God saw you and God hears your prayers and God loves you. Um, God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Continue to have your way here, Lord. We need you. Jesus, we worship you. I'm so grateful, God, that your grace is wider. Your love is deeper than we could possibly comprehend. And I pray that we grow and are rooted and established in your love. And some of us, we're just ready to turn to you right now. So I just want to pray this prayer, God. If you if you want to do this, maybe someone wants to turn to you right now as Lord and Savior. Would you just say this, say, Jesus, I turn to you right now, even before the message. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I want to become a Christian right now. I'm ready. I want to start a new life with you. Others of you maybe need to pray this prayer, God. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, God, that your ears are open to us. I'm grateful your love never runs out for us would you just take a hold of this message I know you're already here and I know you're already working Lord and I just want to be a faithful vessel for you so by your grace use me Lord may your Holy Spirit direct me and lead me and may the words that come out of my mouth be words from you we we, we need to hear a word from you God our soul Our soul is uh, thirsty for you. So as the deer pants by the water brook, so our soul pants for you. Speak to us now, Lord. Thank you, God, for your grace. 
It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise Jesus. Amen. Could you, uh, before you sit down, just turn to someone and say, His love is greater. Can you do that? Just say, His love is greater. Then you can have a, have a seat. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, uh, I, I love worshiping, guys, and love just getting lost in worship. Um, I was talking to a pastor friend a little while ago, and I was reminding him that, you know what, we just got to stay close to Jesus, right? We got to stay close to Jesus. That's where it starts. I'm a, I'm a transform. I'm a Christian. I just happen to preach. God called me to preach. God called me to do this thing. Well, I'm excited about this message today, guys. Um, um, and um, when I, as I jump into this, I, I thought about, um, um, you know, this morning I woke up probably, I think I woke up at six and I, my dog, you know, left me alone most of the night. So that's a praise because uh, anybody have dogs that wake you up? I have a dog that wakes me up all the time. And um, I, it tests my sanctification with this dog and uh, tests how deep my, my transformation is. But anyway, I, I got to, I, I slept, you know, most of the night and uh, I woke up around six and I read my Bible and uh, on my phone and um, listened to it on my phone and read it as well. And then afterwards I, I prayed and then I, I looked at um, Twitter. Um, I'm sorry, what is it called now? It's not Twitter anymore. X, that's what it is. And uh, I was looking at feeds of football and all that stuff and just sports and, you know, CU and all this stuff. And I found, have you ever found yourself just looking at your phone longer than you should? Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, they, some of you are just shaking your head. I think you're just lying. Um, <laughs> yeah, check this out. Check this out. In 2023, Americans check their phones an average of 144 times a day. That surprised anyone, 144 times a day. Um, or how about this? 89% of people, and I'm included in this one today, check their phone within the first 10 minutes of waking up. First 10 minutes of waking up. Okay, confession time. Is that you? Raise your hand. First 10 minutes, you're checking your phone. That's my alarm is on my phone, but then it's always, always uh, easy to do that. Uh, the average person spends five hours a day on social media. Wow. Five hours a day. That's a long time. Check this one out. And just to help you understand kind of where this at, during this sermon, during this message, you will be tempted to look at your phone 12 times. 12 times. Last night I was, was preaching and I counted seven people look at their phone. No, I didn't count any. <laughs> a few were like, like <laughs> no, but that's a temptation for a lot of people. Um, social media is not free. You know what it costs you? It costs you your focus. It costs you your time. It costs you attention. Now, I'm not saying social media is like an evil thing. It's, it's kind of like money. It's not an evil thing. But you can, you can have something that kind of owns you instead of you owning it. That makes sense? Just that, that could, that could, everything is permissible. Not everything is beneficial. That's what Paul said. It takes an average of 23 minutes and 15 seconds to regain focus after a distraction. So that's important to know. Like, like if I'm working on the message during the week or if I'm working on a document or, and you might experience this at work or you're on a project or whatever it is, if you get off of that project for a little bit because you got distracted, it'll take you approximately 23 minutes to get back to where you were. 23 minutes. Distraction. What is distraction? Something that takes your attention away from what you're supposed to be doing. That's what distraction is. Now, I think we are in a big world of distractions. I mean, there's distractions all around us. Um, <clears throat> we're honing into this message. Hang on with me, guys. Let me give you some examples. King David. King David, man after God's own heart. This is a guy who, uh, I mean, God used him to famously kill this giant named Goliath. People, women wrote songs about him. He had a mighty army. And scripture says when kings go to war, he stayed behind. His men are in battle in the battlefield and he's behind and 
he's enjoying life in the palace and takes a shower and <laughs> takes a nap and wakes up from his nap and says, I want to get some fresh air. And he goes up to his rooftop and he walks around his rooftop and he, he looks around and he sees that beautiful woman. What's her name? Bathsheba. And then all of a sudden something happens inside of him. Lust. Lust. He was distracted by lust. And then all of a sudden he did things that he didn't think he could do. Have you been there before? He did things he didn't think he would, it was uncharacteristic of him. Like, how did I go there? How did I become that guy? Have you ever been distracted by lust? Or how about this other guy, Samson? This guy is every man's dream. When he has all this strength, we're going to talk about Samson during men's retreat in February. This is the first time I'm announcing that. That's exciting. Uh, Samson is this guy who has all this strength. And uh, God uses him. The Spirit of God comes down on him and all of a sudden overtakes him and kills a whole bunch of Philistines and, you know, God's enemies. And, but one day, his, his head is on the wrong lap. This woman... This relationship that he should not be in, he's in it. Have you ever been distracted by a relationship? You're going a certain way in a certain trajectory in your life, and you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm making the right decisions. I'm a better person. I'm, maybe I'm going to church. Maybe I'm seeking God. Whatever it is, you know, however you want to categorize that, and you, and you feel like you're going the right direction, then you're distracted by that relationship. Man, you know what I'm talking about. I can't tell you how many men have been distracted by some woman. I can't tell you how many women have been distracted by some guy. And all of a sudden, the things that they used to prioritize, they're not prioritizing anymore because they've been distracted by this relationship. Or how about this one? This is perhaps the first one that you mentioned that we see in the Bible. Her name is Eve. Her husband is Adam. I mean, the garden is a beautiful place, not marred by sin. Sin hasn't entered the world. There's no curse of sin in creation. It is amazing. It makes Hawaii look like a trash can. I mean, this is a beautiful place. God walks with them in the coolness of the day. But then one day, she's distracted. She hears this, this voice, the devil tempt her and she sees this forbidden fruit and it looks good to her eyes and she's distracted. Have you ever been distracted by something that is off limits for you? Something that you know I shouldn't be doing, I shouldn't be looking at, I shouldn't be whatever. You know what? Just the fact that it's off limits makes me want it. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there before? Or how about this, guys? Have you ever been distracted by a conversation? Have you ever been distracted by a hurt? You were hurt from someone at church. You were hurt from someone at home. You were hurt from someone at work. And all of a sudden, that's all you see is that hurt. 10 years later, 20 years later, you're still bleeding from that hurt. And you can talk about it like it just happened yesterday. Have you ever been distracted? Have you ever been distracted by an email? or a text, or a phone call, or a conversation you had with someone and you just can't shake it out of your head. You were feeling really good and you were feeling like you were in sync with God and everything was going well, but then something distracted you and it got into your head and now that's all you could think about. That's all, that's all you can be. Have you ever been distracted? Let me pose a question to you here. What if the better life that God has for you was hinged on your ability to recognize distractions that keep you from focusing on God's purpose. Think about that a little bit. What if it was that simple? 
you know, when you look at scripture over and over, it says, look to Jesus, look at Jesus, just keep looking at Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, 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 and it's, he's the only way to the Father. And if you just look to Jesus, you'll know true peace and true joy, and you'll discover God's purpose. So you see this over and over in scripture, this, this picture of look, look to him, look to him, look to him. But you know how it is, easy it is for us to become distracted? God bless you. You know how many times it's easy for us to all of a sudden, you know what? I I was doing so good. I was reading my Bible or I was going to church and I was I was I was hearing God. I was going so I was doing so well. But you know what? That guy said this, that woman said this, that pastor said this, that friend said this, and now I've strayed away. I've just kind of drifted. Spiritually drifted. When was the last time you just sensed the presence of the Lord in your life? I was asking the team that yesterday, when during our rehearsal time around one o'clock or something, I was asking them, hey, you know what? When was the last time you sent the sweetness, the fellowship of the Lord, where he's just right by you and you just, you just spontaneously weep because you sense the spirit of the Lord and you can't, find, you can't help yourself, but you're crying in your kitchen. You're crying in your car. When was the last time you sensed that? Today, the title of the message is Find Your Focus. Find Your Focus. Say it with me, guys. Find Your Focus. Uh, we're looking at Joshua chapter 3. There it is getting in, Joshua. I know this is probably, this is probably Joshua's favorite series because it's called, we're looking at Joshua. But uh, it's a great name. Joshua chapter 3. Um, or excuse me, Joshua um, chapter 1 is what we're looking at today. And let me give you a little recap about Joshua. Um, last weekend, we talked about uh, Joshua um, leading the Israelites um, through the Jordan River. Remember, I had a swimming pool here, and I stepped in the water, and it was a lot of fun. If you didn't see it, you can go to our YouTube page and check out Thorn Creek Church and see me get wet. But uh, today, I want to talk about the, the behind all of that, the why, the motivation behind that. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of Joshua... Um, you can find it in the book of Joshua, and uh, it happens right after, um, right after Moses dies. Um, God miraculously, going back a little bit, a few more pages, God miraculously de delivers Israel out of Egypt, where they were slaves in Egypt, and God used Moses to deliver them. I mean, the Red Sea parts, an incredible story, and then they get up to the promised land that God wants to bless them with. God wants to, them to have this better life. But they're fearful. There's giants in the promised land, so they say, we can't, we can't do it. And they scouted it out for 40 days, and God takes it personal. God says, you know what? Because you scouted it out for 40 days, I'm going to I'm gonna make you wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for each day. So for 40 years, they're wandering in the wilderness, and they're thinking, what did we just do? What did we just do? We should have obeyed God. We should have trusted God. We should have walked by faith. What if we would have went into the promise? What if? I mean, and they just work through a lot of stuff. And I think sometimes God allows us to go through wildernesses in our own life to sort out who we are, sort out our faith or whatever it might be. But now, 40 years later after the wilderness... A man named Joshua, God, God says, okay, you're, you're, the, you're the man to lead, uh, lead the Israelites into the promised land. So Joshua has now been tagged by God to lead the Israelites um, into, into the wilderness, or excuse me, into the promised land, not the wilderness again, into the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 1, remember, find your focus. Joshua chapter 1, these are the instructions God gives Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Can you say those that with me? Be strong and courageous. One more time. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land, I swore to their ancestors to give them. And then let's read, check this out again. Read it again. Be strong and very courageous. And then it says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful Wherever you go, how many books are out there right now about success? How many books are out there about the rich life? And here in Joshua chapter 1, God himself is telling Joshua and the Israelites, here's how to have success in life. And it doesn't have anything to do with uh, things that maybe you might read about in the New York Times 
It has to do with who God is. It has to do with trusting him. It has to do with his word. And then verse 8 says this. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. I was talking about the Bible. Meditate on it. How often? Mm. You know, I got to, you know, that word meditate. Um, if you look up the original language for this word meditate, it means to mull over, to mutter, to speak it, to ponder to kick it around in your head. So this is more than just reading a post or something like that. This is actually, I'm going to read God's word and I'm going to talk about it during the day and I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think, what did that word mean? It's studying his word. And God is telling Joshua, here's what success looks like. Meditate on it day and night so that, say so that with me, so that, you may be careful to do everything written in it, then, there it is again, you will be prosperous and successful. Does anybody want to experience prosperity and success? I think it's safe to say everyone in this room wants to have a better life. I do. I think it's safe to say all of us want the blessings of God. All of us want to experience the favor of God. All of us do. And then here it is, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Here it comes again. Read it out loud. Be strong. There it is. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When I was looking at X this morning, I noticed I follow Russell Wilson, and, and that was a verse he posted for today. I thought, how cool is that? Joshua 1 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is, is, will be with you wherever you go. So in Joshua chapter 1, you see God speaking to Joshua. And he's preparing him to cross the Jordan River. He's preparing him to not only cross the Jordan River, but to defeat enemies, pagan nations, the Jebusites, the Hittites, uh, all these uh, Gergeshites, all these, all, these all these pagan nations that are on the other side. There's going to be a battle, several battles, on the other side of the Jordan. So in Joshua chapter 1, God is preparing him. It's like that loving parent. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You, you do your best to try to prepare your kid for the world, right? And you want them to understand the world's not always fair, Right? You want them to understand there's even evil in the world. And you can't trust everyone. You, you need to be prepared. I mean, that's what, when we as parents, we live a little bit as adults, and we're like, I just want you to understand uh, the world is, is, you know, it's not always fair, and it's not always right, and there's people who have ulterior motives, and I, I want you to be prepared. And sometimes you think the kid doesn't get it, and you're like, you don't understand. <laughs> you're going to be out of the house soon. You don't understand. And you do your best to prepare your kid. And here, God... God is preparing Joshua and the Israelites, and he's telling them, you're about to cross the Jordan River, but before you get across, you need to understand some things. And God starts speaking to them. Why does, in the world does he keep saying, be strong and courageous? Over and over. He says it three times in these verses. In fact, in the chapter, he says it a total of four times. Be strong and courageous. Why is he telling Joshua that? Well, if you just flip that over, you understand. Because Joshua feels afraid. Joshua feels weak. And God's saying, I, 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 he's not even talking. He's like, I know this is how you feel, but here's what I want you to do. Be strong and courageous. You, you don't get it. Be strong and courageous and courageous. You're not hearing me. Be strong and courageous. You didn't hear me. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Have you, has any, have people ever told you something the same time, I mean, same thing over and over and over, and most of us just get annoyed and upset. It's like, I heard you. I heard you already. I got it. I got it. I'll close the window. I'll turn off the light. I'll dig out the trash or whatever. I'll stop by the grocery store. I heard you. Why in the world does God tell him over and over, be strong and courageous? 
Joshua feels afraid and he feels weak. He's about to lead the Israelites. It's an incredible mission. It's an incredible mission. And God tells him, be strong and courageous. Here's what God showed me is God does not want Joshua to focus on his weakness. God does not want Joshua to focus on his fear. And God does something. God calls out Joshua. Now, wouldn't it be cool? Like, um, let's pretend you're worried about something. Wouldn't it be awesome, you know, when, when people tell you, don't worry. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a little switch that you can flip in your, in your like, with inside, boom. Okay, I'm not worried anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> Would it, it was that easy. You know what I mean? Uh, don't worry. Okay, I won't worry. I'll trust God. You know, now I feel so much better. <laughs> well, well, what do you think Joshua felt like when this guy's afraid and he feels weak? But God told him four times, be strong and courageous. I think God is speaking over and over into Joshua's heart and mind and life because God wants that to sink in. He wants Joshua to remember this because God's going to use him in great ways to cross the Jordan and do some incredible things, but he's the leader and he needs to be at this place where he can trust God. He needs to be at that place. Um, God wants you to be focused on what God thinks about you, not what you think about yourself. Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt inadequate? Have you ever felt like I'm in over my head? Have you ever felt like, you know what, I don't know, <laughs> I just don't know, I got nothing else in my pockets, I don't know what else to do, I'm doing my best to walk with God, I thought I had things in control, hello, I thought I was in control of everything, but I don't know anymore. That's an incredible, sweet place. What I've discovered is when you're in those moments, those, those authentic, genuine, honest moments, when you say to yourself, God, I'm afraid. God, I don't know. God, I feel so weak right now. I'm just afraid of what I'm going to do tonight. I'm just afraid of who I'm going to run with. I'm just afraid of what I'm going to look at. I just, I don't have a lot of confidence in myself right now. God, I thought I was a better, you know what I'm talking about? It's in those moments that God moves in and God says, be strong and courageous. I'm with you. It's in those moments where we come face-to-face -face with the reality of who we are apart from Christ. What I've discovered is there are some people where uh, looking at their weaknesses doesn't come easy. It's called pride. That's called pride. We elevate ourselves a little bit above everyone else. And you might be sitting here right now thinking, I'm just a little bit smarter than the person I'm sitting by right now. You know what I mean? You know who you are. I'm just a little bit smarter than the people in this room. I'm in the upper bracket of the, you know what I mean? I think like that. And sometimes it's not easy for us to look at our own weaknesses. The truth is for many of us, it's a lot easier to look at other people's faults, isn't it? To look at other people's weaknesses. Man, she sure talks a lot. Wow, he has a real problem. Wow, he's not that great. I don't know why he thinks he's so successful. I don't know what's his problem. Wow, I can't believe he carries himself like that. Wow, look at what she's wearing. Wow, look at what he's wearing. Oh, I can't believe. I mean, it's just easy for us to look at other people and point out those faults. And I want you to know, even the devil can use that as a distraction. Because here's what happens. When you look at everyone else's faults, you know who you're not looking at? yourself. That's right. That's right, sister. You're not looking at yourself. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. He was talking to Pharisees, these, uh, these religious hypocrites. He said, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Wow. Why do you do that? One step in your relationship in your, in your, if you want to grow in your relationship with God is to have an honest self-assessment of yourself. I'm talking to all of those of you who are thinking, I sure hope someone else is listening to this message right now because it would be really good for them to hear. 
That's what I'm talking to you. Just turn to the person next to you. Just tell him he's talking to you. Just tell him that. Help me out. <laughs> because that, the, most of the time we're like, what? You know what? I, this is not for me. I know the Bible. I grew up in the church. I know everything about it. I know all the verses. I know, I know it. I know it. I know it. It's for someone else. I'm talking to you who's thinking, I sure wish my cousin was in this service right now. You know what I mean? I sure wish my mama was here right now. When you look at scripture, I'm going to give you a little, a, little, a little, this is free advice. When you look at scripture, you know the kind of people that God uses? Humble people. Over and over. It's the Gideons. It's the Rahab, the Noahs, the Esthers. It's those people who are like, you know what? I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I'm, I mean, who am I? And when you get to that place where you humble yourself before God, that's when you become usable. When you become, come to grips with the reality of these are areas in my life that God needs to take care of. These are things in my life that, that I need to just die to myself and I need to let God. I, though, that's a beautiful, beautiful place. Be strong and courageous. Erwin McManus said this, you must shape your identity not on who you are or who you've been, but on who God is going to make you become. Isn't that good? When God spoke to Joshua and said, be strong and courageous, was he strong and courageous at that very moment? No. Otherwise, why would God have to tell him over and over? But God was speaking to him about who he would become. You read about this also in Genesis chapter 12. And God makes this covenant with a man named Abram. And eventually God says, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham because you're going to be a father of many nations. When God changed his name, Abraham did not have any kids. Now think about that for a little bit. God gives him a word, gives him a promise, and says, I'm going to change your identity right now. I'm going to give you a new name. You're no longer going to be Abraham. You're going to be Abraham, which means father of many nations. Now you're Abraham. And you know what Abraham is thinking? That's great. My new name is father of many nations. And he's like, it's just me and you, sir. I got, we got no kids, but my name is father of many nations. Do you imagine him introducing himself to his friends? Hey, I'm father of many nations. Nice to meet you. Oh, where are your kids? Yeah, they're coming. <laughs> where are you getting there, guys? They're not here yet. And in fact, scripture says he waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And she got really old and he got really old. She laughed. She laughed. But see, God was calling him to an identity that he was, he was still growing into. Oh, that's good. I need to say that. God was calling him to a new identity that he had not fully grown into. And that's what God does to, with us through Jesus Christ. Be strong and courageous. And you might think, well, I don't feel strong right now. I don't feel courageous right now. It's okay. Aren't you glad you have a God who does not identify, does not label you for your weakest moment? People do that. We do that, don't we? Someone hurts us or whatever, and, and you remember what they said. You remember what they did. And you know what you do? You label them. Boom. They're a liar. Boom, they're a drunk. Boom, they're a hypocrite. Boom, they're a fake. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that with you? Think about it. And incidentally, are you the same person that you were a year ago? Maybe God is working in their heart. Maybe God is transforming them. Maybe. God calls us to a new identity. And this is so important because the devil is constantly trying to redefine your identity. He, he is. 
Remember the the movie um, The Help? It's like older movie. I, I love that movie. It's a great movie. And there's there's this black nanny, and she's giving advice to this white little girl. And and you remember what she says? You is kind. You is smart, and you is important. Remember that? I just I just think about that, and I think, boy, that's what God's saying. You know, be strong, be courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. And he keeps saying that until it sinks in. McManus also said this, in the end, your actual scale of your personal capacity is directly connected with the depth of your identity. It's true. This is why spending time in God's word is so important. It's important for me on a personal level. Because I'll just tell you, I, I need encouragement. Don't you need encouragement? And the more time you spend in God's word, the more time you recognize what is truth. You recognize God is a God of love. You, you learn more about the character of God. You learn about his grace. You learn about his righteousness, his desire, what it means to live a holy life, a righteous life. You discover who you are. And that's why I do it. Because there's times when I, I honestly, I say to myself, like, Lord, I'm just tired. I need you to encourage me, God. I'm just, I'm just there. But you know what encourages me is when I see people turn to Jesus. Any pastor will tell you that's payday. Changed lives. And God's still changing lives in this church. He's still changing lives in this church. He's still changing lives. I want to share, um, <coughs> this is a, a story, uh, Jonathan and uh, his woman, Crystal. And uh, Jonathan uh, has been in attending church here. He's here right now. It's been about a year, right, Jonathan? So I remember when they, he first started coming here, uh, he was a professed um, atheist. And uh, that's where he was at. And I remember he would come late. You came early to church today, brother. You're coming along. <laughs> I'm calling him out publicly. <laughs> but I remember they'd always come late all the time. But I remember the day when, as I, you know, when I preach, I can tell when the Spirit of God is moving in hearts. The Lord just, you know, gives me that vision. And I, I knew God was moving in his heart. I could see it. I can see his shoulders were starting to come down. And I can see his face was starting to change. And, and after one of the services, I invited people to come forward so that I could pray for them. And it was actually right over here. I remember, Jonathan. It was right over here. He came forward. And I, I heard that he was this professed atheist. And he came forward. And he had tears in his eyes. And I just told him, God loves you. And God cares about you. And he's not. And he just, he hugged me. And he put his head right here on my left shoulder. And he just started weeping. He just started weeping. And it was like we're hugging and he's just weeping on my shoulder. And it was one of those things that I was like, okay, I think we're, we're done hugging. You know that time when you feel like I'm done hugging this person and it's time to release? You know that moment you feel? So I, I was doing that with him and he pulled me back. To, he pulled me back like he wasn't done. So then I just released and let go of myself. And I thought, I'll just be here as long as I need to be here. And he was just crying on my left shoulder. And afterwards, we had a conversation and... He told me, I feel like I'm coming home. I'm putting my faith in Jesus, and today he's a Christian again. He recommitted his life to Jesus. Glory to God. But before that, I think you said, Jonathan, um, how old were you, did you say, when you used to go to church? What was it? Or what grade or something like that? You just told me. 12 years old. Something like that. <clears throat> how, how appropriate is, guys, Then this church... God is changing lives. And now Jonathan serves, and it's so cool. He was working this camera over here last night in the Saturday night service, and he was working the camera, and I thought, well, I just feel like we kicked the devil in the teeth in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Bam! Kick the devil in the teeth. Bring, another, bring someone else on. You hear me, devil? You got nothing in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Be careful. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Um, the other thing the Lord showed me in this, do not turn from the right or the left. We're talking about focus. We're talking about recognizing distractions. And hear this. If you want to live a focused life, you have to know when to turn away. A lot of times we think focus is about fixating ourselves on that target, on that bullseye. On, you know, in, in spiritually speaking, it's fixing your eyes 
on Jesus. But there's another side to fixating it. Uh, Psalm 119 says it like this. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Turn my eyes away. So here it is. You're like, you know, you get distracted by something, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to look at that. Think about this. Your eyes, windows to your soul, are incredibly valuable. Whatever you look at can potentially determine what you will worship. Whatever you look at can potentially determine what you desire. So what you set your eyes on matters. I mean, I remember 12th grade chemistry class, and two chairs away, there was this young girl named Grace that happened to be in the class. And I don't know, I think she was wearing some dress or something like that, and I noticed her legs. I'm just being, I'm going to make him totally embarrass her right now. And I'm like, oh, I haven't noticed those legs all school year. That was, you know, where'd they come from? <laughs> and then I needed a ride home because my car broke down, and I didn't want to walk. And I asked her, hey, do you want to show me that really cool Renault Alliance that you just bought? Renault Alliance, yeah. <laughs> some of you know that car. But man, you know what I'm talking about. It's like when you, have, when you desire a girl, what do you do? You look at her. Stare her down. Your eyes are incredibly valuable. That's why scripture talks about your eyes so much. Let me, let me give you an, another perspective. Your eyes are so valuable, you shouldn't waste them. You shouldn't throw them around and look at just anything. You should be incredibly, incredibly selective about what you set your eyes on. Because that determines who you are. So there are certain things in life where you're like, you know what, that's not worth my eyes. He's not worth my eyes. She's not worth my eyes. That video is not worth my eyes. My soul is too valuable. My relationship with God is too valuable. I'm not going to waste my attention on that. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that, what, that hinders us. And the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us... Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Incidentally, this scripture tells us something. Sometimes our choices are not between right and wrong, but sometimes between something that might hinder our walk with God or not. Sometimes. You keep reading, it says this. And let us run with perseverance. Say perseverance with me. If you want to walk with God, it's going to require perseverance. That's like, I fall down, but I'm going to get up again and I'm going to keep going. I've been hurt, but I'm not going to let that hurt stop me from following Christ. I'm not perfect. He's not perfect. She's not perfect. It's okay. Jesus is perfect. And I'm going to keep going. I've got trouble. That's all right. I'm going to keep going. Things aren't going right for me. I don't understand them, but I'm going to be like Job. I'm going to hold on to my faith. I'm going to choose to live a life that's pleasing to God. Then he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let's read that out loud. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Other versions say looking. This says fixing, looking at Jesus. 
the, the English language, I, I did a word study on this word fixing, and the English language really doesn't have a word that adequately describes this Greek word fixing. Now, it, the, the first part you made is probably obvious, which you think it has to do with to turn one's mind to a certain thing, right? To become fixated. That's how we think it. To be to turn one's mind. But here's a better a better definition of what what here this writer of Hebrews is saying when he says fixing our eyes on Jesus. It really means to look away from everything else. To look away. Let me say it like this. Fixing your eyes on Jesus is not only about your ability to focus on Jesus, but also an increasing ability to look away from everything else. That's it. What if that better life that God has for you, what if the life, the purpose, God's purpose for your life. What if it was about not not only your ability to fix your eyes on Jesus, but your ability to, to look at something and recognize that's a distraction. And here's what you got to do. Did you catch that? That's a distraction. So here's what you do. That's a worse, worthless thing right there. Here's what I'm going to do. That thing's stealing my joy. That thing is hindering my relationship with God. It's hindering my fellowship with the Spirit of God. It's preventing me from growing closer to Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. Do you feel that? Your relationship with God, your spiritual growth, fixing your eyes on Jesus means your increasing capacity to look away from everything else. Glory to God. I'm not going to let the devil use that hurt in my life. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to dwell on my mistake. Some of you need to be broken from chains today. You've been labeled. Some of you have come to church and there's things in your life that you've just been looking at that are robbing you from knowing Jesus at a deeper level. They're robbing you from growing in Christ. Fixing your eyes on Jesus means you have the ability to look away. What I've discovered is, guys, I'll just be honest with you, what I've discovered is that happens as you grow in your relationship with God. When you first start off in your relationship with God, you know what you do? Is you keep your eyes on worthless things. And you underestimate the influence, the control, the poison <laughs> that's there. You feel like you're in control. That relationship is not that bad. That video is not that bad. That, you know, what they said and what they did to me, whatever it is, that distraction is, you know what, I can manage it kind of thing. But what happens as you walk with God, you realize that thing is toxic. I'm changing because of him or her or that or it or whatever. And as you grow in your relationship with God, you're like, mm, you seem harmless, but I know your teeth. You seem harmless, but I know the devil's behind this. And here's what I'm going to do. And you recognize distractions as you grow in your relationship with God. What if it was that simple? To experience the purpose of God in your life, to grow and experience that better life, that promised land. What if it was that simple? Your ability to turn away from worthless things. And I want, I want you to hear this. Some of you came to church and you have distractions in your life or you've been distracted and it's, maybe it's kept you away from church. Maybe it's you drifted spiritually. Maybe you're not even sure if God is real or wherever you're at. I want you to know the devil is a liar and he is the father of lies and God loves you and God cares about you and God wants you to hear this. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. God is with you. You don't have to be afraid of anything. God is with you. 
God is with you. Did you receive that? Some of you received that in the name of Jesus. Yeah, some of you received that in the name of Jesus. Whatever you're going through in life, God sees you and God loves you. And I know you might be facing some battles and you have to cross that Jordan and you have to do other things, but you could be strong and courageous because the Lord is with you. And the Lord sees what you're gonna be facing tomorrow. And God is with you, so you have no worries. God will take care of you. I wanna give you an opportunity to turn to Christ. Some of you came to church. Maybe you didn't say that prayer earlier, but maybe now you wanna ask Jesus into your heart. And I wanna pray for you. Others of you, you might call yourself a Christian and maybe God is revealing some things to you. Maybe you're that person who's noticed the speck in everyone else's eye and you haven't seen the log in your own eye. Or maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you're a distracted Christian. And today God wants to set you free. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for your word, God. And thank you for using me by your grace. I've sensed your Holy Spirit and I've done my best, Lord, to deliver this word accurately, Lord. And I know your spirit is moving here, God. If you're, if you're ready to receive Jesus, would you say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I want to come home. <laughs> I want to come home. And I turn to you. Today, I choose to become a Christian. Teach me how to walk, how to live. Others of you maybe need to say this, God, I have been distracted. I have drifted spiritually. And I've got all kinds of stuff in my heart that don't need to be there. I've got all kinds of stuff in my head that don't need to be there. So right now, I'm going to fix my eyes on you, Jesus. Help me to recognize the white noise. Help me to recognize the distractions. Help me to turn away from worthless things. God, I receive your word. Help me to be strong and be courageous. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit here. And I want to pray for those who are giving as well. Would you bless those who are honoring you with their tithe, honoring you with their offering? We do it because we know you are the provider and everything we have has come from your hand and you have given us the ability, the gifts, the strengths to make, make a living. And it all comes from you, God. We, you know, our hand, our, our life is in your hands, God, not, not in the hands of our boss. So we worship you with our finances, our giving. Thank you, God, for the way you're moving here. We worship you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.